Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. I'm Erika Cole, the creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System, a proprietary system that assesses the legal health of denominations, churches, and ministries. Download your free copy of the Legal Audit document checklist found in the show notes. And I'm especially happy to be with you today as we have our special guest. I know that so many of you have been journeying along with us through the season of the podcast as we've explored this important theme titled Healthy Leaders, Healthy Churches. From a legal standpoint, healthy leaders and healthy churches directly reduce legal liabilities. In episode 23, which I'll link below, I outlined what I saw as the five general components of a healthy church. Then in episode 24, along with my guest, we discussed the financial health of pastors, including bivocational pastors, and planning for retirement. Then in episode 25, we discussed mental health in churches, which unfortunately, the mental health concerns that we see in the world continue to be on the rise. And in episode 26, we provide insight into how to build a culture of physical safety and security for churches, even as a recent report shows the alarming rise in church attacks during the first quarter of this year. And in episode 27, I had a guest who is both a professor and an associate pastor as we discussed building a healthy leadership culture in your church. So it's been an awesome season. And I'm excited that we cap off this series with an amazing guest. Her name is Irene Rollins, and she is passionate about the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health of all people. And I've seen her share a special love and care for church leaders. As a certified emotional intelligence coach, she loves to study human behavior, enabling her to understand a wide variety of people guiding them to be the best version of themselves through her teaching, writing, and coaching. She is the author of an amazing book. My copy is right here called Reframe Your Shame, which was recently released by Thomas Nelson Publishing. Irene's fervency to help others overcome their self-defeating habits comes from her own life experience as an overcomer of alcohol addiction and trauma the details of which she shares in her book. Irene models accountability and often reminds those in addiction and the addiction community to do the work. And if you aren't working on your recovery, you're working on your relapse. After almost 25 years in full-time ministry, 
Irene and her husband, Pastor Jimmy, felt a shift in their ministry focus. Together, they founded the ministry of two equals one with a mission to help build strong marriages that result in healthy families and impact our communities for the better. Welcome to the Church Law Podcast, Irene. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be with you. And like you said earlier, I am super passionate about church leaders and the health of the big C church. So I want to help move it forward as best as I can. <laughs> well, thank you. And what you've shared in your book, which I'm looking forward to getting into. And I'm excited to discuss with you today about how church leaders can experience freedom from what holds them back. In fact, that's the subtitle of your book, isn't it? It sure is. It sure is. And tell me, what do you mean when you say you want church leaders to experience freedom from what holds them back? Well, first of all, I believe that all of us have hurts, hangups, and those hurts and hangups can turn into habits very easily under pressure. And church leaders are under such a tremendous amount of pressure. And I specifically wanted to title my book, Reframe Your Shame, so that I wouldn't get put on a recovery shelf because I didn't want people to think it was just all about addiction and kind of scare folks away. Like, oh, Irene's story is so extreme, it wouldn't apply to me. But I believe that all of us can experience freedom from something that's holding us back from being the best version of ourselves. The word recovery, if we just reframe that, it simply means to come back to one's natural state of mind, health, and strength, or to recover what has been lost or stolen. That's everyone. We've all had a loss. We've all had betrayal. We've all uh, had to deal with unforgiveness and things of that nature and undealt with pain is what leads to unhealth. So yeah, that's why I chose that title. I wanted to make sure it was inclusive of all. No, I love it. First of all, I have donkey-eared my book. I've got all kinds of underlinings here. I think it has been such a phenomenal writing. And honestly, I feel like there's a bit of a gap in the church community and sharing this kind of experience. And frankly, maybe to some degree, your experience is unique in that you're sharing it in this way. So maybe we should take a step back so that the listeners can come along with this. So why don't you share with us what prompted you to write your book? And in answering that, I imagine you'll tell a little bit of your story as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, The skinny of it is my husband and I relaunched his parents' church in 2012. And about three years in, three years of pressure that we didn't know what to do with responsibility and the weight of launching a church that was successful in everyone's eyes, right? We even called it a mega church, you know, it was doing really well. We were impacting the community. We had ministries overseas. Great. Everything on the outside looked like it was going great, but we were completely dysfunctional in terms of our marriage and our communication. We were just completely emotionally unaware. We had no, I like to kind of put it like, I didn't have an emotional literacy. So I didn't know I could share my emotions, but who talks about emotions? I never thought I was allowed to. I was a leader, thought I had to have it all together. So what everyone saw was someone who, thought they were okay and 
thought I was doing all the right things, serving Jesus like crazy, right? And impacting our community. But at home, I wasn't happy. I was miserable in my own skin, insecure. I had trauma coming up that I had no idea. I had disassociated from some of the abuse that had happened in my childhood. And so when my brain said, hey, it's time to deal with this, I didn't know what to do with it. So I had that coming up, the pressure of three kids and a house and ministry and staff, and I could go on and on. And then our communication leading with Jimmy was really difficult. So I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but three years in, we went on a vacation and um, we introduced alcohol back into our marriage, into our lives as something that we would be okay with in moderation. Little did I know I was waking up the little alcoholic that had already existed when I first was introduced to alcohol when I was 10 years old and abused it till I was 21. So all the makings of the alcoholic was there. So what I found out later, once I got to rehab three years later, so it was a six-year journey in total that alcohol touched my lips again because I stopped drinking at 21. Alcohol touched my lips again at 32 and by 38, I was in rehab and my husband was giving me an ultimatum that if I didn't get help, he was going to leave and take the kids with him. And that devastated me, obviously. Shame almost took me out because, you know, I thought I had ruined everything and that the ministry would fail because of me. And it was me, 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 me focused victim mentality. And what I'm grateful for is that hitting rock bottom was actually the foundation that Jimmy and I built the rest of our life on, a healthy life, an emotionally healthy life, a healthy marriage with good communication skills. We're trauma-informed. Our kids are too. And now we share our testimony around the world with marriage, church, anywhere, celebrate recovery, anywhere where I can share it, that if you do the work, you get honest, you can get free. I love this so much. Irene, thank you for sharing your story. And again, you go into even greater detail in your book. But I remember reading in your book that you didn't even realize it was addiction. And that was one of the things that I think is a reality of many of us who thankfully find ourselves in a 12-step program, whether it's for alcohol or whether it's for overeating or whether it's for maybe being a person who's constantly supporting others who are in addiction, right? Which is its own issue. But often within the church, we are a bit out of step with how our hurts and hangups can impact us even within the context of ministry. Can you share maybe a little bit more about how your addiction touched on the challenges maybe that you experienced in ministry? Yeah, sure. So here's the deal. Being in leadership, you have a place of power in people's lives. And so what we wish we knew then that we know now is that we wish we had taken care of ourselves emotionally, been more emotionally aware, been more aware of how our past was creeping up into our present, whether it was abuse, trauma, mama, daddy issues, whatever it was, it was leaking out into our leadership. So the church was going to be affected regardless. Now, when we added addiction, the coping mechanism for all the stress and the pain, the unhealthy coping mechanism, it even more so impacted the church because I was hiding. Now, 
I was a functional alcoholic, so I could go to work all day and be fine, do my job. I didn't take the stage because I never felt worthy enough to at the time. So I felt like I was causing the church a disservice because I wasn't serving them with all of me. I just gave them the HR and business administration side of me because I didn't think I was worthy enough to get on a stage. And I believed that script. And I think a lot of us have scripts, things from our back story that when undealt with, it can impact our ability to serve God's people. So Jimmy, as I was abusing alcohol, he actually was using food as his coping mechanism. And now we had no idea. Nobody in the church world talks about addiction. So I didn't know any alcoholics. I thought it was the person under the bridge with the brown paper bag. So I said, surely that could not be me. You know, like, why would I go to rehab? Like, no, I just, you know, I have a high tolerance. I made every excuse at the time, rationalization, which I now know to be something that um, is a red flag for when you're going down the addiction scale. Like rationalization is simply this. You are basically saying it's okay to do something that's bringing yourself harm. You're making excuses for yourself to Pardon something, eat something, do something, drink something, take something that is bringing you harm in those around you. And it's out of moderation and your life's out of control. That's what addiction is. And what happens is you abuse it so long that your brain chemistry changes and you become addicted. I didn't know anything about it. So as Jimmy was using food, something that everyone has to eat to live, right? But when you're eating on after church, after services, after highs and lows to celebrate to this, to that, and you're not paying attention for how you're using food to take you somewhere emotionally or to come down off your day. And I needed wine coming down off my week, coming down off my day. That excuse and that rationalization led to abuse and then shame hiding it. And before I knew it, I was hiding vodka and water bottles and didn't think there was anybody I could talk to about it. Because number one, I didn't think I was addicted because shame would not allow me to step out of denial. But thank God for pastors. So we had pastors that sat our butts down and made sure the church was okay. Had The church never knew we were going through our mess because our leadership came in and made sure that the staff was okay. We had speakers every Sunday. I mean, Bigwig preachers came in for nothing, like no honorarium, nothing. They came in to serve our church so that the mission of the Big C Church could keep going and Jimmy and I could get well. So because we dealt with it privately, I believe that's what, and we got honest and got help. That's how the church didn't have to experience the worst of it and the shame of it. In fact, when I went public with my story two years, three months sober, and I shared it with our church, literally the crowd went crazy. The altars were flooded. People were like, me too, and just embraced me. And I felt like it was my introduction to my church for the first time. And our church grew exponentially after that. It was remarkable. How beautiful is that? There are a number of things, because I'm sure... Some people may not appreciate the legal component of your story and the legal components of what happens when leaders face addiction and these kinds of challenges. So a couple of things that you mentioned, I love how within your church, it obviously had a framework 
where other church leaders could say, I know you're the pastors, but these are the challenges that we're seeing, or these are the ways that we can come alongside so that you can go get the help that you need. And we can make sure that the sheep continue to be fed. Like that takes a bit of what Mm -hmm. we talked about in the last episode, a leadership culture that allows for others to also take up space, right? Allows for others to serve in their zone of genius, allows for others to come alongside, to hold up the leader's arms even. Mm -hmm. As that example, you know, that comes from Moses, right? When his arms were being lifted, then the people of Israel were winning. And obviously I'm not, you know, I don't have a collar as I always say. I remember that story and sort of analogize Mm -hmm. that here, just that we allow that church leaders, that pastors allow folks to come alongside to also be able to speak into the vision, to also be able to mm-hmm. speak in even to a level of support. So I love that you sort of give a nod, I think, to that. And also maybe, unfortunately, we're also seeing some of these difficult examples of maybe people, again, I'm not going to take anyone's inventory, but just the observation of some of the challenges that Hillsong is having, right? So you have a leader who is drunk driving, and also, you know, examples that we see of other leaders with other substances. Um, we have a church leader some years ago who, you know, OD'd in a hotel room by himself, right? So we've mm-hmm. seen these issues. And the truth is that the church is healthier when the leadership is healthier. Like, I know that probably in some ways that sounds obvious, and I hope it does but we don't necessarily always treat ourselves that way, that they are important to what's happening at the church as well. (laughs) Yes. So the leader goes, so the church goes. It is the saying, so the leader goes, so the church goes. And here's the deal. Um, I think that we need to get off the pedestal and take ourselves off. If people have put us on a pedestal that we are not human, (laughs) We are imperfect people that come with wounds and baggage. And with the higher responsibility that we have to lead God's people, I think we are even more so responsible to do the work to get healed, set free, even to, let's say there's a person out there, a listener who is like, oh, it's extreme. I don't have an addiction going on. Our marriage is okay. I thought our marriage was okay too. But here's the deal. You only know what you know. So what are you doing to position yourself for when life hits? Because life is going to hit. Betrayal is going to happen. Pain is going to come. I don't pray that on people, but it's, you know, offense is going to come. Jesus said it's going to come. People are going to leave your church. People are going to say bad things about you. Maybe if you are currently in an addiction or headed towards it, because it's get beginning to get some feet under it and you're becoming more and more dependent to pornography or whatever it is and you're a leader, my thought is deal with it now. Make rest, sabbatical, counseling for you and your spouse and your family. The family being a focus, really that Sabbath rest being a part of your rhythm, that alone, having a healthy marriage, And being completely and authentically honest about who I am and authentically showing up to the world. That's all God wants from me. So I'm going to do everything in my power to protect that. And so give ourselves permission to be broken people who need a savior also. 
You don't have to go public with it like I am. That's totally fine. You can take care of your stuff privately, but I implore you to make it a priority. Talk to your board of directors, talk to your overseers, talk to whoever it is to get a plan together so that you can deal with the pressure that comes along with ministry and take care of yourself emotionally so that you don't have the downside, which is like a volcano is going to explode at some point. At some and, point. These yeah. are not things that, that can stay under wraps, but for so long. Right. And I think that the power of you sharing your testimony and encouraging other leaders to also care for themselves. I love your reference to even Sabbath to the degree that you see Sunday as the Sabbath. That's also most pastors busiest day, right? So I would say like, I actually do my best to have a Sabbath time and it's once a week and it's not on the weekend because my kids are still young. And so it's easier for me to be able to go all in and really have that solace when there's less activity at home, but whatever that day is, but to commit to a 24 hour window where you can be alone with God, where you can read a good book or take a nap or whatever it is that speaks peace to your soul. Yeah. And we could talk forever, but as we sort of go into this one area, you have an interesting story as well, that as you and Pastor Jimmy were getting well and the church was continuing to grow, like at no point did the church not continue to grow. And you called it a, I think it was even referenced as a mega church. I don't know how many thousands you were seeing at a time, but over two, over over 2000. Yeah. So at some point as you were getting healthy, do you think that allowed you to be more open to making changes related to your church? And if so, how, and how did that ultimately shift your steps? Sure. So as Jimmy and I were getting healthy, we were Hold in two different directions, the local church where our heart and our love was, but then also the global church. So we felt such a pull to invest in marriages of executive staff, executive leaders, you know, influential people that were coming to us in crisis and just helping them navigate, hey, you're not alone. Here's some resources. If you're willing to do the work, you can get free and get healthy. We were helping on that side and it was pulling us away from our church. So we started thinking maybe we need to do this and come alongside someone else who's already pastoring in our city. And we actually merged our church with Stephen and Zai Chandler's church, which was Destiny Harvest. And we were I-5 City. And now we're Union Church and they are the lead pastors of the church running it. Local church is exploding. And Jimmy and I have come out of that. And we are focused, me on recovery, ministry, and Jimmy and diversity. He's written a book, Love Outside the Lines, Loving Beyond Your Preferences, Race and Difference. So the message of I-5 is still out there, right? And marriages, really, if marriages are the greatest gospel message we will ever preach to the world, you don't need a microphone. Having a healthy marriage is demonstrating the redemptive, forgiving, just amazing power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's why we are sitting now in the space that we're in. I love it. And that church merger of two very healthy churches, right? This Mm -hmm. is an example of, I've written on church mergers. I'll try to include that link below as well. There are different circumstances that may prompt a church merger. And this is a beautiful example of sometimes 
church mergers come about because there's a, you know, a real struggle with the church, perhaps. But there are often many, many examples of where it just happens to be a fantastic fit for the season of those leaders and for the vision of that church. So we see this merger that you described that now we have a pastor who is really passionate about local church leadership. And we have Mm -hmm. you and your husband who are focused more on the global focus or international focus, I guess Mm -hmm. I would say, and being able to do ministry to couples, et cetera. And so Mm -hmm. it's really powerful to see how as leaders become healthier, this is my takeaway. You're in a Mm -hmm. better position to be able to hear God's voice, to be able to, to be humble, to hear his direction and willing to carry it out. Yes, because let me tell you, if we were not healthy, we would not have heard those the direction and been able to humble ourselves because it is humbling, extremely humbling. It's like, I like to tell people, um, I'd rather be obedient though any day because what's on the other side of obedience, oh my gosh, when I see the fruit of what God's done through the ministry that I'm blessed that I get to do, I can't believe, I'm like, Jimmy, if we had not listened and obeyed God, none of this would be happening. These people that God is setting free, but pride could easily have been there. And Jimmy could have said, no, this is my church and I'm going to hold on to it. But I'm so grateful that he was where he was in his journey. We took a 30 day sabbatical. And during that time, we got real quiet. I mean, when I say real quiet, I mean, we were in Buena Vista, Colorado, and we went to a pastoral reboot center. There was nothing wrong. We were just there to engage with God, nature, counseling, talk through big decisions. And we came to the conclusion that, you know what? The season is shifting. The grace is lifted and we need to obey. And it God gave us the grace to get through the painful, the grief part, which naturally came with letting go. but then. There was also a side of it that was like, this is my ego. I'm going to go ahead and lay that at the feet of Jesus so that I can go ahead and stay on track with what he wants me to do. And just to see what God's done in Union Church through Pastor Stephen and Zai is incredible. And we would have been in the way of that happening in the state of Maryland. So <laughs> I'm really That's glad powerful. we obeyed it. <laughs> That's really powerful. Yeah, because my recollection is that they, it's moved into multiple campuses and outside of state lines as well. And so just the power of being able to come to a place where you recognize that you need help. And Mm -hmm. as humans, that can be hard for us. But as I say to my kids, like only God doesn't need help, right? And we're Mm -hmm. not. So it's okay that we need help. And it's just a beautiful story. I really appreciate your book, Reframe Your Shame. And I appreciate you being willing to share your testimony with listeners and the encouragement that you have. Are there any final words that you want to share as we're wrapping up? Yes. And hopefully listeners will get my book and help uh, not just for, for themselves to read and get educated because let me tell you, statistics right now are saying over 46% of our congregations are dealing with someone in addiction or are actively in an addiction themselves. That's close to half your people that you're looking at every Sunday in the pews, in the rows, 
think about reading the book from the perspective of, let me go into their world and see it from another point of view. Perhaps God may put a ministry like Celebrate Recovery. Um, perhaps you, maybe you've had a judgmental mindset because you did not know and weren't aware. So let's dive in leaders and learn about areas that our churches are struggling with that we know nothing about. And then I want to encourage leaders. There's in the back of the book, I actually wrote a letter to leaders where I'm pretty much imploring them, please take care of yourself, make yourself and your family and your marriage a priority, your time with God a non-negotiable and deal with your pastor. It's going to deal with you and get honest with someone. Every pastor needs a pastor. You will not get fired. If you come clean (laughs) and get help. No, I can't guarantee that. But I will tell you this. That's what everybody's fearing. That's why they don't come forward. That's why we don't come forward and get honest because we think we're going to get fired. Well, here's the deal. There's someone you can reach out to that will hold your information and confidence, whether it's a counselor, a friend, message us on social media, my husband or myself, Jimmy Rollins, and we will give you the resources to get the help you need. You're not alone. All of us broken, broken, raggedy ragdolls without Jesus. So, and we're here to support you and make sure you uh, get what you need. I love this so much. And from the legal side, this is what I see when there isn't an active intention for leaders to be well the natural state of affairs is downward, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've often in practice been called into these crisis situations. And that is so much more A, expensive, B, difficult, and C, in this world where things hit the news so quickly because mm-hmm. of social media, it's so much less pleasant. So I just want to come alongside your urging that if any church leader is listening to the sound of our voice, for yourself or for your church to really take advantage of resources like Celebrate Recovery and other things because we're all only human and you are loved and you're not alone. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much, Irene, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I appreciate you. Pleasure. And thank you for listening. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney and the creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System. It's like a financial audit, but for legal matters. Get your free legal audit checklist using the link in the show notes and learn more at erikacole.com. That's E-R-I-K-A-C-O-L-E.com. Thank you for listening. If you found value in the Church Law Podcast, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a short review so that other church leaders can benefit from this valuable resource. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. And you can learn more about me and how I serve churches and their leaders at erikacole.com. That's erikacole.com. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, 
the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.